Certainly, church, the King of glory who has died for you and me will be praised throughout eternity. Let me invite you to open the scriptures with me this morning to Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 15, as we look at uh, the Easter story, as we look at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for the sins of the world. John, uh, Mark chapter 15, we're looking at verses 33 through 39. If you don't have uh, a Bible with you or a Bible app with you, certainly let me encourage you to look on with someone else or to open up a pew Bible uh, in the rack near you. If you're using a pew Bible, uh, this text should be found on page 829. It'll be in Mark chapter 15 this morning. And if you're visiting with us uh, today, I'm so glad that you have come on this Easter Sunday. I hope you find this place to be a welcoming and, and friendly place. Uh, a place of celebration, a place of worship, a place, a place of uh, love uh, in Christ together. And if you don't have a church home, uh, certainly we hope that you'll come back and that you'll visit us again and perhaps have opportunity to get to know one another better uh, and perhaps even become part of this church family. We would love to have you. But I suspect uh, that we have a few categories of people here today. I'm sure we do every uh, week, if you allow me to, to speak in such terms, no doubt I'm sure we have some uh, who, who may be longtime Christians, longtime followers of Christ who treat uh, this Sunday uh, very much like uh, the other 51 Sundays a year. But you may not be in that category. Uh, you may be an occasional church goer attending church from time to time when it's convenient for you and your family, or you may never attend church at all. But you decided to give it a go today because, after all, today is Easter Sunday, right? I want you to know, if you fit into that category, uh, then I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled that you have chosen to gather with a body of believers today and to open the Scriptures and to sing the Lord's praises and to fellowship in His name and to hear from Him. And not because I think I have some inspiring life altering message to give you, but because I believe God does. In fact, I know that he does. So as we open his word, as we open the scriptures today for uh, the next several minutes, let me invite you, uh, regardless of what category you fit in, to listen to him. Listen to him. You know, over the past few days, uh, we have especially focused on the death of Jesus, what we remember on Good Friday. And today, of course, marks his victorious resurrection from the dead. You see, on Sunday morning, Jesus' tomb was empty. The massive stone was rolled away, and he was not there. He is not there. I'm not here this morning to give you a list of of reasons uh, uh, how we can be sure to know that the tomb was empty or, or, or a list of reasons how we can know that Jesus uh, truly died and, and rose again, though there are plenty of reasonable uh, arguments that can be made to that end. But I'm here to read and to proclaim what actually happened when Jesus died. So I want us to look at what the Bible says happened on that most significant day in human history. As you find your place there in Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 15, let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's Word out of reverence for the one whose Word it is that we are reading. Mark chapter 15, beginning in verse 33. 
We read these words. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those standing near heard this. They said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Let's bow together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. Father, speak to us now, for we are listening. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As I read that text, did you hear Jesus' question from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, of course, Jesus is God, but central to our faith as Christians is the confession that God is one God uh, in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't fully understand that, but we believe it to be true because the Bible clearly conveys it. And here, for the very first time in the Scriptures, Jesus does not address God as Father, but as God Jesus felt totally abandoned by God when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? See, Jesus is quoting scripture. He is taking the opening cry of Psalm 22 upon his own lips, identifying with David's cry of despair when surrounded by enemies who want to take his life. See, both David's life and Jesus' life were on the line, desperate for God to step in, desperate for God to deliver, desperate for God to save. And in David's case, God does. And David offers him praise. But in Jesus' case, he doesn't. God doesn't spare Jesus from death. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. He died. See, God abandoned Jesus to death. The Father abandoned the Son to death. He lets him die on that cross. Consider the worst form of execution of the day, devised to inflict prolonged torture, type of death reserved for foreigners, unmentionable for even the vilest of Roman citizens. See, even so, Jesus knew this was coming. He knew that he would ultimately go to the cross. He knew what he was going to endure, for this was God's plan. On the cross, God did what he planned and promised. God did what he planned and promised for our sake. Jesus was forsaken for our sake. Even for those who know the scriptures, this should have been no surprise. For long before his death, God declared through Isaiah the prophet and Isaiah chapter 53, verse 7, that a coming servant, he, meaning God's coming servant, was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
and listen to Jesus' own description and prediction of his impending death recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. This is the third time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus tells his disciples what he is going to endure. Verse 32, again, he took the twelve aside and he told them what was going to happen to him. We are going to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, reference to himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. You see, it sounds like Jesus knew exactly what he was getting himself into for the Old Testament scriptures, Genesis to Malachi, meaning the written word of God before the coming of of Christ repeatedly emphasized salvation and blessing coming to the nations of the world through an offspring of Abraham, meaning a Jew. And Jesus is that offspring. Fast forward some time later, some years later after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection and ascension back into his rightful place in heaven. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, one of his disciples, says these words. Uh, about this salvation. First Peter chapter 1, verses 10 and following, he writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, When they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Friends, in other words, the prophets of God and the angels of heaven were waiting on Christ to come. They were waiting on the fulfillment of God's promises. God carried out what he planned and promised for our sake in order to provide us spiritual salvation. And he did so by judging Jesus in our place. God judged Jesus for our sins. Central to the belief of the gospel, central to the message of the gospel portrayed in the scriptures is the belief that God judged Jesus for our sins. You know, every time I see an American Red Cross bus set up for a blood uh, drive, I begin to feel a little bit guilty. Anybody else relate to uh, that? Um, I know. I know that blood sustains life. And I know that that many folks are dependent on blood donations for life. I I know this. And I've given blood before, but I'm really terrible at it. I'm not good at this at all. I mean, really, it bothers me to the point that I get a, a bit queasy. And I know, although I know those folks in the bus know exactly Uh, what they're doing, something in my subconscious tells me that the life is literally being sucked out of me. And the only way that I can do this is if I don't watch and and look the other way. You know, giving blood is admirable. It's an honorable thing to do. So don't follow my lead. Go do it. Give generously in this way. But as admirable as it is, it's not like it's really some great inconvenience. It's really not some great sacrifice for those who are healthy enough to do so, to to donate blood to those in need. In fact, we could make a strong case this morning that every healthy person ought to be doing this. 
But this type of blood donation does not compare to the blood donation on the cross of Calvary. For at Calvary, Jesus gave his life completely away. Gave his life completely away in a most humiliating and excruciating way to take the judgment for our sins. Meaning he had no sins of his own, so he could take and did take the penalty and punishment for our sins. He took our sins upon himself, receiving the due wrath of the holy, righteous, and eternal God who cannot tolerate sin, paying the price, taking the penalty for the sins of the world. Church, he did this for our sake. He he did this though he was perfect and righteous and holy without sin. The eternal God did this for our sake while we were still dead in our sins. While we were still running from Him, while we were living in rebellion against Him, God did this for us. He was forsaken. The Son was forsaken by the Father for our sake. Friends, this is unheard of. People don't do this. And occasionally someone will will give of themselves. Someone will intervene for someone they love, someone they believe deserves another Another chance, even risking their own lives by serving in a number of ways, perhaps in the military or perhaps being uh, an organ donor for uh, a transplant or something of that magnitude. And when they do, we take notice of it and we admire them. We honor them and, and rightly so. But Jesus, the fullness of God and human flesh, willingly endures total judgment and God forsakenness for us sinners who have fallen woefully short of the glory of God and who do not deserve it. And as he hangs on the cross, Jesus says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if we listen to the text and pause and consider the significance of what is happening, it's almost as if we can hear his God, our God, the only God, whispering from the heavens, I have forsaken you, son, so I would never have to forsake them. I have forsaken you for their sake. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted, but he was pierced For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, he reflects on the glory of this gospel. He says, in him, in Jesus, in Jesus, we have redemption. We've been delivered. We've been rescued. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. unearned, his unmerited, his undeserved favor and kindness that he has given to us in the gospel of Jesus. Friends, God judged Jesus for our sins, fulfilling his plans and promises, providing forgiveness, the removal of blame and guilt before God, the restoration of a broken relationship, allowing us to come before God confidently and freely. You see, through the cross, God provided permanent access into his presence. God provided permanent access into his presence. Last year I was able to go somewhere that I had never 
been before, and that was the Delta Sky Club Lounge in the Atlanta airport. Anybody ever been there? Let's go stuff. Anybody have uh, a membership card? They'd be willing to loan out. Got an upcoming trip? Um, just kidding. A little bit. I, I was traveling with uh, a friend who had a, a Sky Club lounge uh, pass or access, and it was incredible. It really was. Um, unlimited food and beverage. Uh, stay as long as you want. Come as often as you like. Plenty of, of lounge chairs to stretch out before the flight. Free Wi-Fi. It, it was good. And for my friend, this was sort of an afterthought. We were meeting up in the airport on our way somewhere else. We had a long layover and, and trying to pass it. Out. I know we can, we can go to the Sky Club Lounge. I want you to know that if that membership card was mine, it would not have been an afterthought. That is where I would be every single time until it was time to board the flight. But I'll have to say, while there, I, I did feel a little out of place. Something didn't seem quite uh, right. I felt like there was a catch that I was missing. I certainly didn't deserve to be there. And so I was let in. You see, friends, when it comes to access to God's presence, none of us deserve to be there. None of us can get there on our own. We're dependent on someone else. And through the cross of Jesus Christ, He invites us to be there. God God invites us to be there, to be in His presence presence, to enjoy Him now and forever, to have eternal life in Him, to experience Him forever. This is the significance of verse 38 of Mark chapter 15. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. He's signifying that the priestly and sacrificial system of worship is over. A new era has Dawned, Jesus is the great high priest and he is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, giving those who repent and trust in him permanent access into God's presence. Permanent access to him, able to come before him confidently and boldly through the blood of of Jesus. Don't take my word for it. Let's look at the text. In fact, turn to the right in your Bibles. If you have your Bible open to the book of Hebrews. New Testament letter written to the Hebrews near the end of the completed copy of God's Word. The letter of the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, is a comment. In fact, all of Hebrews, really a commentary on what Jesus does to fulfill the sacrificial and priestly system of worship. So let's look at it together. Hebrews chapter 10, I'll begin in verse 1 and read portions of this text. Hear the word of the Lord. Scripture said, the law... In the instructions, the commandments of God, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Or you, to the law, you give your sacrifice, you strive to obey God again and again, but it, it doesn't make you perfect, it doesn't make you right. You must keep doing it again and again, year after year. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest, the perfect priest, when this priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the great high priest, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made perfect. Holy one sacrifice, this sacrifice of Jesus on the cross of Calvary that is sufficient for us to be made right with God, to be reconciled with God 
forever. Verse 17, then the Holy Spirit adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Because Jesus paid for them. Because in the cross of Christ, the gospel of Jesus, and through our faith, our repentance and faith, trusting in Him, there's a great exchange that happens. Our guilt for the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God no longer holds our sins against us. In verse 18, where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us to the curtain, curtain that was torn into, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. You see, church, this whole system of worship, It was repeated year after year after year, requiring animal sacrifices in order to approach the holy God, found its fulfillment, its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus, the provider of our forgiveness. Jesus was forsaken so we could be forgiven. Friends, Jesus was forsaken on the cross of Calvary so we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored, so that we could have life in Him. He was forsaken. So we could be forgiven. Are you forgiven? Friend, are you forgiven? Do you know that your sins have been paid for? Are you forgiven? Are you right with God? Receive forgiveness through Jesus and be reconciled to God. Receive forgiveness through Jesus and be reconciled to God. For the gift of the cross is a gift to be received. It's a gift that must be Received, it's sufficient for all, yet applied only to those who believe, those who acknowledge their need and His provision. For God provides a new status. God is a provider. He provides physically and He provides spiritually through the gospel. He provides His people with a new status, a new creation, a restored relationship with God for those who trust in him, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and following here, the word of the Lord spoken through Paul to the church at Corinth. He writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, meaning anyone has repented and identifies with Christ, if they are one of his, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this, he says, is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us The ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. That's what the gospel is about. That's what Good Friday and Easter Sunday are about. We had a broken relationship with our maker because we had rebelled against him. A holy and righteous and just God who must punish sin. We had broken that relationship and through Jesus God invites us back into right fellowship with him. For Jesus paid the price. He paid it all. He invites us to receive forgiveness and be reconciled to God. So receive forgiveness through Jesus and be reconciled to God today. Or or the other option is to reject the sacrifice of Jesus and remain condemned. Reject the sacrifice and remain condemned. Friends, according to the scriptures, the, the word of God, these are the only options. regardless of what the Pope may or may not have said over the last few 
days, those who are not in Christ remain condemned. They are condemned before God. Apart from Christ, all of us are condemned before God. But therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no middle way. There is no alternative way. Jesus is the way. And friends, those who fail to turn and trust in him remain condemned before God, unforgiven and unreconciled through the blood of Jesus Christ. John chapter 3, verses 16 and following. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In other words, because they have not believed in Jesus. Friends, Jesus was forsaken so we could be forgiven. Some of you need to receive forgiveness through Jesus today. Some of you need to repent and trust in the Savior for life and salvation. No doubt still others among us, I'm certain, have already received this forgiveness. You know that you are right with God in that sense that Jesus paid the price for your salvation, but you may need to return to Christ and His church. Return to Christ and His church. I'm convinced that on a day like today, in churches across this city and around the world, churches like this one, there are scores of people who have not trusted in Jesus for salvation. If that is you, repent today. Turn to the Savior. Receive life today. But I believe there are also scores of people who perhaps have trusted in Him and have drifted. Drifted away from Him. Drifted away from worshiping Him, drifted away from life and serving Him, drifted away from regularly gathering with His people. And if that is you, then return to Christ and His church today. Make following Him central in your life once again. See, that same text in Hebrews chapter 10 continues. The author of that letter says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Friends, we have hope. We have hope because Jesus rose from the grave. Let us hold unswervingly to it. Let's not veer to the right or left. Let's cling to it. Let's follow him. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as church. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more as you see the day of Christ's return coming. You see, still for others gathered today, maybe you have received forgiveness through Jesus. Maybe you know that you are reconciled to God. Maybe you are committed to Christ and His church. And if that is so, then the message of Easter calls you to rejoice today. It calls you to celebrate today. Today is a day of celebration. So rejoice in the life Jesus gives you. If you are a believer, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a child of the Most High God, then your life ought to be characterized by rejoicing today. Today is a day of celebration for the angel. On Sunday morning, said to the women at the tomb, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. 
Friends, he is, he is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him, the angel said. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Friends, Christ is alive. The Savior is alive. He is risen. He was forsaken so you and I could be forgiven. And he was raised back to life so you and I could have eternal life. He has gone ahead of us. He's paved the way. He's provided salvation. And one day, if you know him, you will see him. One day you, too, will see him. We will see him just as he told us, just as he tells us through his word. And we long for the day. He is coming again. Jesus The king of glory will return. He is coming again. Will you be ready? Will you be ready? The king is coming. The king is alive. The king has given his life for you and for me. He's given us positions of freedom and honor in his kingdom. He will return. Will you be ready? And Father, we pray that you would lead us, that you would guide us in being ready for Jesus' return. Father, we believe the words of your book. We believe the words of the scriptures. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the gospel. Lord, help us to live by it. Help us to stand upon it. Help us to live in light of it. Father, help us to live for you. Lord, may we celebrate a risen Savior today. May we be about Him in all that we say and do and think and all of our gatherings and whatever we do today. Lord, may we be a people who honor You. Lord, move among us now. Speak to us. Guide us that each of us might respond in a way that Your Spirit leads. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.